Time now for sports on 104.7 The Cave. Here's Ned Reynolds. Mike the intern, Ned Reynolds in the studio this morning. It is time for a new segment here on our sports conversation. Throwback Thursday (laughs) with the ultimate throwback, the OG, Ned Reynolds. The old proverb is that records are made to be broken. What records, Ned, do you think will stand the test of time? In my opinion, there are going to be several. At least if they're broken, it won't be in my lifetime at all. One is the 100 points in a game, basketball game, an NBA game scored by Wilt Chamberlain. I don't think that'll ever be broken because the game is a lot different now from what it was back in 1962 when Wilt set that mark against the New York Knickerbockers. The game is different because while there are dominating players, there is no one who is anywhere near as dominant as Wilt. No, he was no taller than what they are today. Kevin Durant is probably the same height that Wilt Chamberlain is. Certainly Shaquille O'Neal and Kareem Abdul-Jabbar were the same height, but they weren't the dominant player. Wilt Chamberlain was 7'2 and a muscular 315 pounds. He didn't look it. He looked like he was skinny. (laughs) He wasn't skinny. He could push anybody around and frequently did. And when he went to the basket and turned his back on people, you could not stop him. Even the great Bill Russell would have his problem stopping Wilt when Wilt wanted to do it. That was just it. Wilt wasn't always motivated to do it. But when he scored that 100 points in a game, I think you saw a one and only time, at least in my lifetime. The 56-game hitting streak by Joe DiMaggio. I don't think you'll ever see that snap. And then it was after the 56-game uh, streak was broken, the next day he went back on another streak and ended up at 72 of 73. DiMaggio was just one of a kind, and his consistency as a player would be not matched today. Pete Rose came pretty close to it in the 1978, I think it was. He had 45 straight uh, games in which he had a hit. But uh, other than that, I don't think that streak will ever be broken because the determination and the injury factors in baseball are different from what they were. When UCLA, back in the late 60s and early 70s, won 10 national championships in 12 years. Oh my goodness. Will we ever see that again? No. Because college basketball has such great parity amongst its players. And the likes of John Wooden as a head coach are probably not going to be forthcoming. Wooden was pretty fortunate, too. He had some pretty good players. Lou Alcindor and Bill Walton were playing for those teams back then. But he still won. And you had to have good coaching and good team work to be able to get that done. And UCLA did. Heck, they won 88 straight games. Now, that record's long since been snapped by Connecticut's women's team. But still, 88 straight victories in college basketball and 10 national championships in 12 years, uh, I don't think you'll ever see that done. And then the Oklahoma, University of Oklahoma, 47-game winning streak in the 1950s, I don't think you'll see that even come close to because college football, again, has great teams, you know, the Alabamas and the Clemsons and so forth and so on. Alabama really has a winning streak of their own going right now. But will they match the 47 that Oklahoma won? I'd be very surprised if that happens. Isn't it interesting, though, all these all these milestones that you just went through, that most of them that you won't see again because the game's changed. But it goes the other way, too. Like for football, for example. I mean, you're seeing quarterbacks get 4,000-yard passing seasons, and now we're getting close to 5,000-yard passing seasons, especially with the addition of more games. 
it's just interesting to me how some are good for the records and some are to made to be uh this is i mean dimaggio's record's never going to be touched again because the way the pitching is the way the batters hit the ball today the way the game's played it's no one's ever going to get that again there's no way let me you know rephrase that as far as this is in my lifetime if any of those records is snapped it will be the 47 straight victories by oklahoma because Alabama has a dynasty going. That's not to say they're not going to uh, going to lose somewhere along the line. They're awfully good. Uh, but maintaining that consistency over a period of six years, five and six years, uh, is going to be difficult. You make a very good point, though. Back then, they didn't play as many college football games no. as they do now. Yeah, and and so it, it's interesting to see how these records are, They they're all dependent on the way the games play exactly. and that's just interesting to me ned reynolds mike the intern back in the studio on what we're calling throwback thursday one of the most famous stunts in sports history happened on this day ned let's relive it i can relive it because i was nine years old at the time this is the 70th 70 70th anniversary of one of the most bizarre incidents ever in the Major League Baseball, the reason I remember it, I was nine at the time this happened, and into stickball and Little League, and I remember my buddy from around the corner coming in, hey, did you hear that they sent a midget to bat? And I thought, well, what kind of a joke is this? He says, not a joke. They sent one to bat. I said, oh, come on. And sure enough, it was a game between the St. Louis Browns, who no longer exist now, and the Detroit Tigers, up at Sportsman's Park in St. Louis. That's Bush Stadium 1. Doubleheader. 1951, August the 19th. Bill Veck, who owned the St. Louis Browns, one of the great showmen in all of sports history, owned the Browns at the time, and they were awful. They were last place. The team they're playing, Detroit Tigers, next to last place. Veck said, how am I going to draw anybody to a game like this? A doubleheader in late August in St. Louis when it's hot. I've got to come up with something. And this guy was a master stuntsman. And a Oh, maybe a month, month and a half, he bought space in the Globe Democrat and the Post-Dispatch. And he promised St. Louis fans that they would see something they had never seen before at a game. Took out several ads. Maybe that'll pump the crowd up. And it did. It, it turned out the fans were curious. What, what had they never seen before? He didn't know what it was going to be. He just came up and just used that statement. <laughs> you think at the time he bought the ad, he had no idea? No idea. He, he alleges that he had no idea. Well, he got to thinking about it. What am I going to do that's different? And he had read a book back in the 1920s, I think by James Thurber, about uh, a height-challenged individual who'd come up to bat and uh, perfected, I should say, some, uh, some level of bunting to which the ball would pop into the batter's jer- or the uh, fielder's jersey, and anyway, it was a, it's fiction, of course. Said, Why don't I do that? Why don't I get a midget to come up? We thought about it. I've got to keep this a secret. I cannot tell anybody. He hired an actor from Chicago named Eddie Gaydell. The name is shortened. It's actually an Italian name, Gatorelli. But uh, Eddie Gaydell, who's three foot seven, hired him, brought him into St. Louis, undercover and said, we want you to go up to bat in this game on August 19th. You are not to swing the bat. You're just to stand up there in your strike zone. It's probably half an inch or something like that. So they worked with him and all that and kept it a secret except for, uh, I think, his the team general manager, a fellow named DeWitt, who is associated with the Cardinals now. What do you think he was thinking? 
They were thinking, what kind of a stud uh, I would this? be so mad. I mean, if you're a professional ball player and you're just like. Well, the ball players didn't know it. Yeah. Then nobody nobody knew well, it. Well, the they, GM. The I GM mean, did. Yeah. yeah but they're sworn to secrecy. Anyway, they worked with the guy and uh, advertised this. What well, happened to be the St. Louis Browns sponsor was Falstaff Beer, and it was their 50th birthday, 50th anniversary. So all the execs from Falstaff Beer in the ballpark on this Sunday, first game, routine. Come out at halftime, and they wheeled out a paper mache cake, birthday cake, put it out at home plate, and out pops the Shakespearean character, Lord Falstaff. It's this midget, and he's dressed up like Shakespeare's Falstaff. Well, the fans give it a nice round of applause and all that, and the execs, <laughs> I love this part, the executives up in the booth are saying, this is it? This is your big surprise? And then blank, 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 and all that could do was say, oh, gosh, I'm sorry, guys, but this is the best. Little knowing that the kid's going to come up to bat to start out the second game. Sure enough, the Tigers go out one, two, three. Here comes the stadium announcer and batting, and he's wearing a small uniform with one slash eight, the fraction, one eight on the back. A batting to lead off for the St. Louis Browns is number one eight, Eddie Gaydell. The crowd, 18,000 for uh, St. Louis Browns. That's a sellout. That's huge. They're going wild. What is this? And here the umpire stops the game, says, hey, 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 we do not have travesties here. What is this? Manager runs out, shows him all the documents that Beck had signed over the weekend when nobody was in the front office. Beck knew what he was doing. And I said, oh, looks all right. <laughs> the Detroit Tigers are saying, what in the world is this? They walk the guy on four pitches. And keep in mind, Gaydell was an actor. And uh, he runs down first base, waving his cap to the crowd. They're giving him a standing ovation. <clears throat> he gets to first base, and then they sub in the regular center fielder to a pinch run for him. And the rest is history. They played the rest of the second game. Except that it wasn't history, because Major League Baseball was pissed. Oh, yeah, they were. They were hugely annoyed, and they, they held it uh, with Bill Beck for several years after that and made him... Didn't not pay monetarily, but they cost him the sale of the club because they wouldn't allow him to do that. Not you're stuck with this bunch, buddy. You're gonna you're gonna rot because of it. They were very very angry. Bill Veck was around until the uh, he, I think he passed away in the seventy. No, it would have been after that. It would have been uh, maybe around 1980 uh, that he passed away. But his son is also into baseball ownership now. But this is one of the most bizarre stunts ever pulled in baseball, and it can't be done again because there are official rules. Oh, yeah, there are. Uh, did uh, old Eddie make it into the uh, Hall of Fame? Eddie Gaydell's name is in the Hall of Fame. He did not. Eddie Gaydell, you have to understand this now, he was a very, very unnice person. That's was, what I've heard stories that he bitter. was, yeah. He was extremely bitter. He's the only one in a huge Italian family. The only one who had this genetic defect, and it really frosted him terrible. Anyway, he died in 1961, not because of his, not because of any illness or anything like that, because of his lack of stature, because he got into a fight. A big, he, he liked to go to bars and drink and and get into fights with people, and he got into one in Chicago. That's where he lived and was severely beaten up and died in, a, in an apartment. His mother uh, discovered him. This uh, was in 1961, uh, and it's really kind of a sad story in a way. What's even more bizarre is that his grandnephew, his grandnephew, who is a pretty good ball player for Valparaiso University, played here in Double A baseball in 2015. Wow, man. 
Well, Ned Reynolds bringing it full circle here on our Throwback Thursday. You have a wonderful day, sir. And to you, sir.